The following program is a proud member of the Palaver family of podcasts. Check out all the shows over at palaver.com. That's P-A-L-A-V-R.com. Hello, my name's Patrick, and I'm a Scream Queen. I'm a Scream Queen. And so are you! <laughs> Once again, my beautiful screamers, and welcome to another episode of Scream Queens, the podcast where horror gets bent. This is episode 50, y'all, and tonight, on this very special occasion, we're going to take a look at the devil inside. I don't know how we're going to look inside, I guess we're going to need one of those speculum things, but you know, why don't one of you take a look in for me, because you know, I'm a little queasy about that sort of thing. But that's besides the point, because it is also time for another installation of the Friday the 13th Spectacular, when this time we're tackling Friday the 13th Part 3 in 3D, and take another look at my twisted childhood. And speaking of my twisted childhood, the Nightmare Closet is ready to creak open again. And this time it's going to unleash the most horrifying kind of horror movie. One with a Broadway musical score. That's right, we're looking at The Fan, 1981, starring Lauren Bacall. And lots and lots of musical numbers. Boy, it's going to be tough to tackle this one by myself. I wonder if someone will show up and help me. I wonder who it might be. I don't know, but we're going to find out really soon, so... Park your carcass, Miss Thing. You ain't going nowhere. Do you like zombies? Do you like horror? Do you like comic books? Do you like science fiction? Do you play video games? Then you need to listen to A Little Dead Podcast. Your place for... Daryl, are you down there? Mom! I said when the basement door is closed then the Fortress of Solitude is off-limits! Are you talking to your little friends on the computer? Mom! They're not my little friends. I'm a grown man. Okay. Well, do you want some soup? I can make a bowl of soup and a nice glass of chocolate milk. Okay. I'll be up in a minute. So check out A Little Dead Podcast on iTunes and on our website at alittledead.com. A Little Dead Podcast. Your place for full frontal nerdity. Beautiful screamers, time for the show. Beautiful screamers, don't act like a hoe. Oh, I take it back, act like a hoe. Knock yourself out, girls. Anyway, welcome back, everybody. It's episode 50, y'all. How the hell did this happen? I'm so excited to have been doing this for this long, to make this milestone, and that you're all along for the ride, and it's awesome, and it makes me proud. And before we go any further, I figure we'll take a listen to some of the voicemails telling me how great I am, okay? Okay! Hi, Patrick. It's Kristen from Ohio. I was just calling to give you a quick congratulations on reaching your 50th episode. That's awesome. And I just wanted to say that I hope you keep it up, that you've done a great job so far, and I don't care what else anybody says, you are the absolute best podcast out there. And I uh, just 
wanted to say, keep it up, keep it going. Hope to see you reach 100 episodes. You reach 100 episodes, we'll have a party. We'll have severed heads and killer cocktails and little Vienna sausages and cucumber sandwiches on crackers or whatever. <laughs> but anyway, just wanted to say congratulations again. And uh, thanks for all your hard work. I know we don't ever say it enough, but, you know, for everybody on my end, thanks for what you do. Talk to you later. Bye. Hey, y'all. Bye, Your Honor. I wanted to call in and wish y'all a happy uh, three-day weekend uh, and Martin, Martin Luther King Day and all. Uh, happy New Year as well. Um, Kurt? in this podcast, so keep up the good work. I've been enjoying it, and I will talk to you all later. Have a good one. Hey, Patrick, this is Trey. I know I called earlier about Long Turn 4, but I just want to call to wish you and the podcast happy 50 episodes. You're my favorite podcast. You're the best. The podcast is the best. I love listening to you, listening to all the other callers. So happy 50, and I hope to have much, much more than 50 more episodes. Take care. Love you. Bye. Patrick, it's Betty. And Derwood. Calling in to say, happy, happy 50th. 50th. You know you couldn't have a 50th without the lunch calling in to wish you well. Uh, seriously, great, great job putting out these first 50 episodes, and we're hoping for many more. I know every time I see it on my iTunes feed, load, I have to listen to your podcast before anybody else's. So <laughs> you're a lot of fun. It's fun to think... Uh we used to just be the crazy guy that called in the drunken zombie. And yeah. Now look at you. Yes, look, <laughs> look at how you've grown. We're so proud. <laughs> and we just got in from seeing the girl with the dragon tattoo. It was very, very good. Um, we saw the Swedish version and loved that and didn't think that, you know, the remake could be as good, but I think it was. Um, Daniel Craig put in a really nice subdued performance. And at least he's got something to be proud of after that. Uh, oh, dream. Dream house. Dream house. Yeah, which was apparently a piece <laughs> of crap. So anyway, that's all we had to say. Um, I hope that uh, you continue to make these great podcasts, and we're having a glass of wine in your honor. So cheers. Happy Christmas. <laughs> Bye. Wow, that was awesome. I'm so I'm so genuinely touched that you guys took the time out. To say to for the good wishes and all that stuff, and I love doing what I do. I say it all the time. I love putting the show out for you, and you know, I'm learning that it touches your lives. Some of you in some very important ways. As a matter of fact, I just heard I got a, a letter this week from a young listener. I was his vehicle for coming out to his parents. Uh, he's uh, 15 years old. He and his mom would listen to the show on his long ride to school. And his mom loves the show. He, she's laughing all the time. She's like, oh, that guy, he's so funny. Oh, I wish I could meet him. He's the greatest person. He's so fun. And he was like, well, you know what, Mom? I'm gay, too. And shockingly, she did not, you know, accidentally crash the car into a cement mix or something. Because I'm really, I'm happy that you came out. I'm glad I could help. But don't come out to someone while they're driving. Just to shock alone, children. But I'm glad everything turned out and you're in one piece. My new little friend. And, um, Mom, way to be cool. Bravo. Bravo. Okay, so what's been going on this week? Well, some of you know I've been going for sleep studies. I went for my second one, and I got fitted for one of those CPAP machines. Those whole, you know, these weird gas mask-looking thing. 
It's like trap on your face and this big hose and it's like blowing air up your nose. And you're supposed to be able to sleep better. Well, that was a fucking nightmare and it was terrible. And I had it cold when I did it. So it wasn't particularly helping. Plus, I had learned two days before I had gone to see my ear, nose, and throat specialist because I knew I had a deviated septum. I was always told it's not so bad and it could really affect your singing voice, Patrick. But, you know, I'm tired of sinus infections and headaches and also snoring and not sleeping well. So he took one look up my left nostril and he said, oh, this thing is completely useless. And I said, how dare you? He said, not you, your nostril. It's almost completely blocked off by bones. So I've got surgery coming up soon. At some point, I haven't scheduled a date yet because I've got my concert coming up, which I'll talk about in a little bit. So expect another break. But this time, I'm not going to be doing a, um, as it's been called, a regurgitated episode of material from other sources. What I've got lined up, I'm going to be reading a short story, an original short story, by Kelly Combrick from the Night of the Living Podcast podcast. And I think this is a good tradition to get into. If, I know lots of you are writers. If you, have, if you have a short story of you know relatively reasonable length that you would like me to read on the show, send it to me. Let me take a look at it. Because I think this is a good thing to do. Because I, I can't do these radio dramas by myself because of union rules. But they cannot stop me from reading your material. It's a whole big stupid thing. But anyway, this is not the fun stuff. The fun stuff is, on Sunday, January 11th, I participated in the Improv Everywhere's 11th annual No Pants subway ride. And it's exactly what it sounds like. It started, like I said, 11 years ago with just three or four people who at a designated time on the subway on a you know relatively quiet Sunday afternoon just took off their pants and rode the subway in their underwear. And it's grown and it's spread. It's now done in 35 cities around the world, approximately, I think, 100,000 participants this year, something like that, something crazy, of people taking their pants off on the subway. And the great thing about it is that you're not supposed to do anything weird. First of all, it's incredibly organized. I cannot believe how what a tight machine this was. I mean, thousands and thousands of people all got this done in a matter of a half an hour, and you know, on subways all around the city. But the the joke is, like, if you're you know, you just take your pants off and read your book, or listen to your iPod, or do your crossword, or just stare at the window, or whatever. The only weird thing about you is that you're supposed to be not wearing pants. And somebody asks you, you're supposed to say you're hot, or you lost them, or ooh, I don't know, I'm just itchy. I just didn't feel like wearing pants today. Whoops, I forgot to put pants on before I left the house, because Lord knows I do that all the time. I was surprised, too, because some people, you know, I wore boxers, you know, because I'm you know, demure and shit. But some people were wearing some, like, scampus, scampus shit. And I was like, you go, girls, you go. No thongs, they're not allowed. That's illegal. But there's a video that I'll be putting up on the website, uh, the official video of the 11th annual No Pants Subway Ride, for you to check out. I'm not in it, but you get to see some pretty sexy people in their underpants. Let me tell you something. I've always wanted to do this, but either it's horrible weather on that day, it's freezing cold, and the last thing I want to do is be anywhere in my underwear, or just something other shit comes up, and I can't do it. But this year, I'm like, damn it, I'm doing it. Damn it, I'm doing it. And I was riding the number two train, and I'm in the last car, and there's maybe five or six other people involved. Now, it works like there's a group leader. They get on the train. We go one stop. The group leader takes off his pants in between stops, gets off the train to get back on on the next train. So we start getting spread out. I took off my pants three stops in. There was that moment when we're at the third stop and the door is closed. I'm like, it's time for me to take off my pants. I'm going to take off my pants on the public subway in front of this lovely family from Sweden who had not seen the other person take off his pants. It was just once, but now it's going to be four of us taking our pants off. And the moment before was just exhilarating. 
it was exhilarating. Am I going to do it? Am I really going to do this? Am I going to do this? I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm half naked on the subway. La, la, la. And it was really fun. And just to see the looks people were giving you, they're like, what's happening? And then, you know, every time there was a stop and more people in their underpants got on and just, just acted like it was a regular day, the funnier it was. Of course, there was a group of girls, stupid-ass college girls, who were ruining it on my car. Because the rule is, you know, don't go with your friends. Like, have your friends in the car, but don't talk to them. Because all of a sudden now you're a group of people doing it. It's not as funny. It's funny if single people are doing it. But fuck you girls who screwed it up. I had a great time anyway. And next time I'm wearing some like leopard skin bikini panties. Just so you know. So my favorite news story this week is that in Florida, I believe in Jupiter, Florida, a woman was arrested for soliciting sex at a McDonald's in exchange for chicken McNuggets. This bitch was hooking for nuggets. Because she was hooking for nuggets in all the wrong places. I love that. I love that. It's just so sad. She was going from car to car to car and eventually like opened some guy's car and was like, Hey, I'll give you a handy for a box of chicken McNuggets. Way to set your sights high, girl. Good Lord. I don't even know if that included the dipping sauce or not. Maybe she was the dipping sauce. Ew! Oh, God! Ew! Why did I do that to myself? What is the matter with me? You're the matter with me. That's what's the matter with me. <laughs> My other favorite story is that a severed head was found near the Hollywood sign, and the police are still trying to figure out if it was a homicide or not. It's a severed fucking head! I don't think somebody left it there by mistake. I don't know. Maybe it's me. So Bradford and I got to go to the theater twice since last we spoke. The first thing we went to see was The War Horse at Lincoln Center. Now, The War Horse... The only reason I'm bringing this up is because it's amazing. It's an import from London. I don't know if it's still running there. Woody, go see it and find out. And uh, yes, it is from the same source material as the Spielberg film. But apparently the Spielberg film is like a big Disney fuck you, like Lassie but with a horse. But this was really, really it – was, it was supposed to be an unbiased view of World War I through the eyes of this horse that was recruited to you know, ride into battle, as millions of horses were from England at the time. And it was just incredible, powerful stuff. Uh, it wasn't a musical, but there was music, you know, traditional music, and just really had this magical, magical feel to it, mostly brought on by the puppets. All of the horses were these huge, incredible, full-body puppets that were so hypnotically and, and eerily done that it, they didn't, I mean, you would never not believe that they were, you would never say, oh my God, it was like there was a real horse on stage. You knew it was not a real horse because you can see the puppeteer through it and stuff, but just so beautiful that I was sitting there with my jaw open. There was a whole scene of the, all the horses riding into battle, all these puppets, and you know, some of them getting caught in, in barbed wire fences or getting shot by machine guns, and it was just so heartbreaking, even though you know it's a fucking puppet. So I know it's going on tour. I highly recommend this. Even if you've seen the Spielberg movie and you think you know what it is, fuck you, Spielberg. You wore the world with this one. And you know what I mean when I'm saying that. You made it all smurfy and, and quaint and shit when really it's not that. I mean, it is based in a kid's book, so you know it's not going to end too grimly. But it was some serious shit is what I'm saying. Oh, and by the way, speaking of you, Woody, Woody, the No Pants subway ride has been going on in London as well as here for about five years. So next year, Woody, I want you and your whole, 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 whatever you call them over there. I'm going to say posse, but you probably have some of the cute little British term for y'all. To be riding that subway in your skivvies, and I want pictures. 
You can even mail me the skivvies afterwards if you like. Ooh, that was rude. But the other show we went to see, Bradford and I went to see a musical called Lysistrata Jones. Now, this is a modernization of the Greek comedy Lysistrata, in which the women of, of this city stopped having sex with their soldiers, their soldier husbands and boyfriends, until they could win a goddamn battle in this war that they were in. Now, this has updated it to a university with a basketball team that can't win a game, so the cheerleaders say, nuh-uh, we ain't giving it up no more. It's a lot of fun. It closed, unfortunately, because it, was, it really should have been off-Broadway. There was no way this was going to survive on-Broadway. But it was an incredible, incredible show, and the most amazing, hilarious thing happened that I will never, ever let Bradford forget. There's this nerd character, right? And he's named Xander, and he's got a crush on the head cheerleader, and they've kind of got a sort of thing going on on the side all of a sudden. You know, they're kind of finding sparks shooting between them in this whole battle, you know, to get the guys to win a game. And, you know, you're like, oh, I hope she gets together with him in the end. Oh, my God, it's going to be great. And then things start to fall apart. You know, things don't go the way they're supposed to go. He comes up to console her, and she, he's dressed like this stupid Trojan man thing because he's the team mascot. And she looks at him, and she goes, oh, get away from me, Xander. God, you're just so pathetic. And I went, oh. But instead of going, oh, Bradford went, really loud at that split second where there was no other sound in the theater. Not on the stage, not in the house, not from the orchestra, nothing. So the whole audience heard him go, the gayest gay gasp you could ever imagine hearing. And Everybody was laughing so hard at Mr. Bradford. And he's like, well, you started. And I'm like, I just said, oh, you're the one who went, oh, like that. Even the two people on stage were taken aback. You can see they were like, what, uh, what just happened? Who was that girl? So Bradford was so wrapped up in the Broadway musical scene that he became the gayest gay boy I have ever seen. And it was awesome. And uh, before we get going, I just want to say a huge congratulations to Christy McNichol for finally coming out of the closet. Personally, I thought she was—I thought she had come out ages ago. I, I always—I guess I just assumed she was a lesbian. But nope, she finally came out and said, yes, I am a lesbian. And this makes me happy because Christy McNichol was one of those you know, child actors that I admired when I was youngin'. I loved Christy McNichol, and I loved Jodie Foster, so I'm two for two. All my lesbian role models there. And I say bravo to you, Christy. Bravo. I mean, you've always been one of my favorite lesbians. But I can officially say, Christy McNichol, that now you are one of... My favorite lesbians! And so this is a little number from one of her finest celluloid moments. A musical selection from the pirate movie. Oh yeah, keep pumping and blowing.
Okay, by this point, you're probably all aware that the devil inside, most people think are a, is a huge piece of shit. But you know what? I'm got to go to a free screening of it, courtesy of Rich and all the folks at the Dark Side Horror Movie Meetup Group. And that's always fun. So, I'm not going to talk about the movie. I'm going to talk about the shit that happened around the movie because what happened was extraordinary. But first, just for tradition's sake, let's listen to the trailer. Tradition! Tradition! I'll stop now. South Hartford 911, what is your emergency? Three. Three people. Ma'am, what's the problem? Three people are dead. I killed them. Ma'am. Ma'am. When I was about eight years old, my mother murdered three people. Police arrived she had committed these murders during an exorcism. An exorcism performed on her. The Holy Church got involved, and she was transferred to the Centrino Mental Hospital in Rome. So, here I am. You start wondering, is it in my genes? Am I gonna flip out one day? Just precautions. If she became so difficult, there is a panic button on the wall. Maria, I'm your daughter. Connect the cuts, please. Connect the cuts, connect the cuts. If you really want to help your mother, you need a better understanding of exorcism. What do you suggest? You need to see a real one. Why is she? I had to move her downstairs to the basement. This is a combination of science and religion based on my background in medicine. Let's begin. Isabella. She said my name. Found four voices on the recordings. What does that mean? Multiple demonic possession. Please help my mother. This isn't consistent with any form of possession that I've ever seen. I'm sorry, Isabella. This <laughs> spider came down. Isabella, don't listen to it. Okay, so The Devil Inside is the story of this girl who was investigating her mother's mysterious past. When she was a child, her mother was responsible for the murder of three people. She was hospitalized, and then she was taken away to Rome, and now she's starting to suspect that she was taken away by the Vatican because she was possessed. Is she possessed? Is she not possessed? Well, we're going to find out. But we're going to find out in the documentary-style, found-ish footage kind of way. But I'm talking about the movie. Aren't I? But I do have to talk about it just a little bit because I have to make a confession. I was kind of on board with this one. I was relatively enjoying myself. Some of the uh, exorcism scenes were quite frightening. And, you know, I've said this when I covered the last exorcism. I don't know what there is new to bring to the exorcist genre because it's been done. And it was done right the first time. And it was done the best the first time. 
So you always get your, you know, your your projectile vomiting, you get your head spinning, you get crucifix masturbation, you get my mother sucks cocks in hell, and all that other stuff. We've seen it all. This gave a couple of new twists on that, and I was enjoying it. And there was an intensity to these scenes that was, well, intense. The problem was the ending. The ending... Well, it's like getting hit by a truck, and if you've seen the ending, you'll know how appropriate that metaphor is. It just comes to a screeching halt. It's like, well, we painted ourselves into a corner, we're just going to stop right now. Good night, everybody. Check out our website for more information for this thing that we sold you as a true story, but clearly it's not because nobody's buying that joke anymore. Blair Witch already did that. Nobody's falling for that ever again, so please stop doing it. Thank you. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about... The evening. Now, as I said, we got tickets to a free screening of it a couple of days before it opened, which is always nice. And it's always nice to get them from Rich at the Dark Side Horror Movie Meetup Group because he got them from Fangoria. So we get VIP treatment. Because we are the dark side. So, the screening was really well attended, but... You know, we got there, and there's hundreds of people online outside, but not for us. No waiting online for us. We just get whisked right in. I'm doing my little princess wave. Hi, hi, hi. I always want to show up in, like, sunglasses and, like, a headscarf and, like, pretend to be somebody famous. Be like, oh, don't put my hand up like the paparazzi. Like, no, 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 no. I haven't done that because, seriously, I'm just – maybe I'll do it next time just for shits and giggles. I got a headscarf around here somewhere, but that's besides the point. We get into the screening, and for some reason, the publicity company decided that it would be cool to hire a DJ before the movie started. It was not a cool idea. I don't know what, who's bought mitzvah, this guy was not playing, but this guy was wretched. When we arrived, he's, I'm hearing Thriller coming out of the theater, Michael Jackson's Thriller. I'm like, oh, okay, and as we're sitting down, the Monster Mash comes on. And, alright, so we're going to be playing spooky songs. This is okay by this point. It's a little corny, but I'm on board with it. And plus, the monster mash is on, so I'm getting up and I'm twisting. I'm doing the twist. He did the mash twist, twist. He did the monster mash. He did the mash twist, twist. He did the monster mash. And I was yelling at Rich, leader of the dark side. I'm like, because he's standing up and he's looking over the balcony. Because they put us up on the balcony. And he's just looking over the balcony. I'm like, Rich, you're not twisting. Twist, twist, you're the monster mash, we go twist, twist, and you're just looking at me with his big bald head like blink, 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 blink. I'm like, fuck you, I'm twisting, twist, twist, because it's the monster mash, I said, twist, twist. I have my own fun, goddammit. It was after the monster mash that things really started to go downhill because he just starts playing hip-hop, and it's not even good hip-hop, it was just noisy, irritating hip-hop. And, uh... One of the Dark Side members, this girl Joan, I should say this woman Joan, because she is a lady. She says, I suppose, since, you know, horror movies are popular with black audiences, it's supposed to appeal to us. Hmm? All huffity-like. Because Joan can get huffity, but she wears it cool. And I don't know who it was for, but it was really fucking annoying. And if it was for the audience that was there, they were not into it at all. Because this guy... I don't know what club he thought he was out because he kept turning the music down every 15 seconds or so and being like, yo, so where's everybody from? We got Brooklyn in the house. And be waiting for people to be like, ah! Nobody was. And he'd be like, okay, how about we got Queens in the house? Nothing. New Jersey? Nothing. So now it's just getting embarrassing. And the mo- the screening started late, so we're just getting extra hip-hop. Like, <laughs> Pfft. <laughs> 
And so this is really not getting me in the mood for anything. Until finally, he keeps saying, like, yeah, the movie. <laughs> yeah, the movie's gonna start in a few minutes, y'all. <laughs> DJ suck a butt. <laughs> I'll be playing the gloves, suck my ass on Friday night. <laughs> 10 p.m. to midnight. But the thing is, he keeps turning down the music every time he says anything, which, like I said, is like every 15 seconds. So, in a, a in addition to the music being annoying, it's being extra annoying because it's going right in, in addition to I'm spitting all over my pop screen, by the way, my little pop blocker. So <laughs> I hope you're enjoying this because <laughs> it's really it's wet and dripping on this side. It looks like well, never mind what it looks like. But finally, he's like, all right, the movie's starting right now. I'm like, you've been saying that for 45 minutes, fuckface. I don't believe you anymore. So we're going to play one of the scariest movie themes that has ever been written. And he starts playing the theme from Halloween. I'm like, all right, I figured tubular bells from The Exorcist would have been a better choice. But okay, I'm on board. But still, he keeps feeling the need to turn the music down every 15 seconds so he could say something really pointless. Pretty much promoting himself and his website, djstopmebutt.org. <laughs> yeah, we're going to be partying on Friday night at clubs like a little ticket. And uh, whatever. Ding, 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 ding. I was just like, shut up! I was actually yelling that in the theater. Every time he chimed in, I'm like, shut the fuck up! God damn it! But did he listen to me? No. No. But really, the embarrassment before the movie it was not even over yet because the publicity team also sent in six schlubs dressed in priest outfits, supposedly from the Vatican. I'm like, okay. Apparently, the Vatican is costuming its you know, cardinals or whatever the hell they were supposed to be in outfits from Party City. Because I'm like, this is so stupid. And they have this guy get up and just be like, you know, the Catholic Church has condemned this film. We had nothing to do with the making of it. And by sitting here watching it, you are letting evil into your lives. And I hope you're happy. And we're just like, get the fuck off the stage and start the movie. Which they finally did. And I already told you. It most people didn't seem to think it was that great. Well, actually, you know what? I'm going to take that back. For the majority of the film, everybody's laughing and they're screaming and they're squealing and they're yelling back on the screen and clapping and everybody seems to be having a good time until the ending. And when the ending came, I have never, ever seen a movie audience turn as quickly and as violently as this movie audience did, because all of a sudden they were like a pack of pit bulls. Massive personality change, and they were hungry for blood. The screaming and the booing and the yelling was so deafeningly loud. I was embarrassed for liking the movie. I'm like, I kind of liked it, but I'm also feeling the need to boo because I thought it was so stupid. And they also don't want these crazy motherfuckers to, like, rip my face off or anything like that. But literally, from the time the credits started rolling until the time they were over, and as people were leaving the theater, the screaming and the yelling and the booing continued. So we're talking, like, four minutes of this, and it was astounding. The other thing that was astounding is that girl Joan that I mentioned, that lady, Lady Joan, she clearly has psychic powers. If she doesn't have psychic powers, she has some kind of weird psychic connection with me because she kept reading my mind. We'd be having discussions about things, 
and whatnot. And she mentioned, oh, well, yeah, there's that black comedian who just died. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And she's like, no, 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 not him. And I'd be like, oh, you mean, uh, uh, uh. And she's like, no, not him either. And she was right. Both times I was doing, she knew exactly who I was going to say both times. And I knew that she knew exactly who I was going to say both times. But this happened like five or six times throughout the night to the point where it was really starting to freak me out. And for freaking me out by getting inside what is already a disturbed mind, you, Lady Joan, are the scream queen of the week. Congratulations, Joan. Congratulations. You can't have the tiara. I know it's the prize. You can't have it. Besides, it's just not going to go with your whole ensemble. It doesn't work with your look. I love your look, but the tiara, it's better suited on my head, is what I'm saying. So, the devil inside. You already know to skip it, so skip it. Why am I still talking? I'm not talking. I'm done. Goodbye. y'all noticed but friday of last week was a rather special occasion did you notice or did you forget that's right very good it was friday the 13th which can only mean one thing that it is time for part three of my friday the 13th spectacular whoa 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 you new listeners are thinking, what the hell just happened? What does the chicken dance have to do with Friday the 13th? Absolutely nothing. Because, see, what happens is every time there's a Friday the 13th on the calendar, I talk about my first experience with the next progressive number in the Friday the 13th sequel series. You know what I'm talking about. Anyway, so we're up to part three. And my discussions of the movie, much like the chicken dance, usually have nothing to do with the movie, because uh, I was fortunate enough to see all of these first run in the movie theater. You know, before anybody knew anything that was going on with the franchise, who Jason was, nothing. So everything was fresh and new and magical and completely traumatic to the child that I was. Picture it, Long Island, 1983. It's the summer of the trilogy, and it's the year of 3D's big return. We've had Jaws 3D. We've had Treasure of the Four Crowns. We've had Amityville 3D. We got 3D coming out our ass, and somewhere in the middle of that snuck out Friday the 13th Part 3 in 3D. Let's take a listen to the trailer. Okay? Okay!
Weekends are a good time to escape to the woods. Unless the weekend begins with Friday the 13th. Because 13 is an unlucky number. But out here, so are 1 through 12. Because these are Jason's woods. And nobody leaves them alive. Friday the 13th, part 3 in 3D. Jason, you can't fight him. You can't stop him. And now, you can't even keep him on the screen. Friday, the 13th, part 3 in 3D. Now, when it comes to killing in Jason's woods, Jason will come to you. Friday, the 13th, part 3 in 3D. A new dimension in terror. It will scare you. So as those of you who've been listening for a while will recall, somehow we conned my mother into taking me and the kids from the block to the first one. Which led me to be the block pariah. I was the kid that you were not allowed to hang out with anymore because I was a bad influence. When the second one came around, somehow we were able to sneak in. But the third time, I tricked another family member into taking me. This time, I fooled my cousin Susie into taking me and a couple of kids from the block to go see Friday the 13th Part 3. Now, the thing about Susie that's cool now, she is now a member of the Secret Service. She's protected me, you know, President Ford and President Nixon and all these other important people, and she will kick your ass. If I tried to pull this now, she would kick my ass. Now, this is a completely random story, but fireside chat, gather around, everybody. Gather around, find a seat, get comfy, find some marshmallows. Anyway, when Susie got married when I was in college, one of the coolest things about the wedding was that since she was a Secret Service agent, although she might not have been a Secret Service agent at the time, she might have been CIA or FBI, she's been all three, so, you know, she, this girl's got around, but, you know, n- n- not, not the way I get around, round, I get around, get around, woohoo, I get around, shop, off topic, anyway, she looked amazing, the whole outfit was hot, it was like, knee-length bridal gown, which is beautiful, but the thing that was amazing, since she's a member of the Secret Service, she has to be armed at all times. So specially made for the occasion and tucked in her garter belt was a teeny tiny one-shot pearl-handled pistol. And she showed me that at the, at, the, at the reception. I was like, the bride is packing heat. Awesome! But this has nothing to do with Friday the 13th. Now, does it? No, it does not. Now, when she took us to see this, this was one of my first introduces to a multiplex. And this was like a lame, like, 80s attempt at a multiplex, meaning they took, like, a big theater and divided it up into four parts. So, 
the theaters are all really, really small. But this is not the point right now. The important thing about the Franklin Square movie theater was that it was the home. It was ground zero of the Crush Groove Riots, which started in 1985, two years later. Now, if you're old enough to remember this, good for you. If you're not, fuck off. But it was a breakdancing movie that every time it showed in Franklin Square, there were riots. It made national news, and the riots started spreading around the country, and it started right here in the theater. And I blame myself. I don't know what mojo I left in the theater, but clearly, clearly, its influence lived on long after I had left. Now, here's the thing that's kind of sad about this particular installation, is that I don't really remember a lot of the nonsense that went on with the group of kids that I saw and with Susie that particular day. Nothing really stands out in my memory about that, as it has in past episodes and past editions of this series on the podcast, but... This is something I remember very well. Sitting behind us was a group of large women of blackness. And as you know, seeing a horror movie with an African-American crowd always adds an extra thrill to things. And this was no exception. What I remember so clearly, it's like it's happening right now, is that towards the end of the movie, in the final reel, the big chase between Chris and Jason, she was... I don't know, Chris was hiding in that closet upstairs, you know, just before she pulls the pulls the knife out of her girlfriend's neck to defend herself. But this 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 large woman of blackness behind her, she's like, oh girl! Girl, you gotta get out of there right now! You get out the house! Get out the house, girl! Don't you hear them Chi Chi Ha Ha's coming to get you? Don't you hear them Chi Chi Ha Ha's? He's coming to get you because everybody knows when you're actually living out a horror movie, like when it's actually happening to you, there's a soundtrack and you can hear it. It was awesome. But unfortunately, that's pretty much all I remember. So I actually have to talk about the movie. Can you imagine? The thing that I really hate that you guys can't experience is what that 3D was like in the theater. Sure, you can watch it in 2D and go, oh my God, it's so stupid. They're sticking the eyeball in, in, in your face and everything. But I saw all the 3D shit that summer, and this 3D was by far heads and, you know, heads and shoulders above all the others. Because not only did it have that pop-out stuff, but the depth that you get in 3D movies now was really there too. Like the depth of the lake and you know the big the expanses of the woods and stuff. It just worked. It looked gorgeous. And there were some points where the 3D was terrifying, which I haven't really gotten lately like even my bloody valentine stuff i'm just like yeah yeah okay yeah 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 but at the time this scared the hell out of me and i have documentation to back up that this is good the psychotronic encyclopedia film agrees with me that this is outstanding 3d and if you didn't see it oh well i don't know how it is in the blu-ray i hear this 3d on the blu-ray but it can't possibly be as good because i said so but since i just mentioned that scene where chris pulls the knife out of debbie's back neck rather, and goes swinging it at Jason, yeah, 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 and stabs him in the knee, and then she's trying to bust down that door to get away, and she can't get through, and Jason pulls that knife slowly out of his leg, and whoosh, throws it at her, and it lands in the wall, that was terrifying, like, I could have, I, it was like you felt the knife go whoosh, past your face, and the whole theater went, ah, and the woman behind us was like, oh, no, no, please, Jesus, God, no, please, I can't take it anymore, no, please, Jesus, God. That's how good it was. This is we keep talking about Chris. I gotta say, Dana Kimmel, who played Chris as an actress, <laughs> flat, boring, pretty monotone for a Survivor girl of the Friday the 13th franchise. I think she's the weakest actress to play 
the Survivor Girl in the Friday the 13th franchise. However, let me tell you something. She kicks ass in the end in a way that had not been previously seen before that. Because, you know, even as a kid, I, you know, even though I was late on the train with the uh, slasher movies, by this point, I've been going to the video store. I've been renting. I've seen all kinds of shit by this point. And Chris is the first Survivor Girl that I've seen to really, really kick back. Like, to not just be scared, but to get angry and start plotting shit setting traps and things and that was really exciting i'm like oh my god this girl knows how to fight this is great you know like early on after he throws paul through the window and she's like ah, 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 ah and she runs away she grabs a log and stands outside the door and waits for him to hit him on the head she is pissed and i like that now you kids who are used to you know dev campbell and her you know jennifer jason no, Jennifer Love Hewitt, whoever the fuck it is, the titty girl from um, I Know What You Did Last Summer. They all fight back. Yeah, well, that was now. This was then. You didn't get a lot of that then. So to see a girl that was, that was this ferocious was new. Sure, Jamie Lee Curtis fought back, sort of, but she was all cowering and whimpery about it. So was Alice. Amy Steele, bless her heart, she used other methods. She used her brain in a different way. Survivor girls in slasher movies up until this point often had to be rescued, a la Donald Pleasance. Or they didn't really, really, really fight back until they were completely backed into a corner with no other choice whatsoever. Well, this girl went to war. Like, there's a shot of her early on where her like she looks in the camera and her eyes are like, scary. Hunter and the hunted turn back around. Plus, she's the only one Whose sanity seems to lose her as the movie goes on, too? Like, towards the, by the end, she is like, <laughs> when they're taking her away in the police car, she has lost her shit. And I say, you go, girl. You have earned your nervous breakdown. The other drawback to the film is that she's boring, and actually, her friends are kind of boring, too. And I blame the script for that. Like, when there's so much yo-yoing and walking on your hands, it's like, boring. Who cares? Let's juggle. Shut up. Die already. Even so, the whole thing does have a special thing, a special place in my heart because I will never forget. You know, when they have the big flashback thing at the end, you see the end of part two, and they, you know, retrofit the ending to that so that he slithers away. When it finally goes to the opening credit sequence, and you get the Friday the 13th part three theme song, that disco synthesizer, gorgeous piece of gayness that is the Friday the 13th part three theme. Oh my god! Had I known what ecstasy and poppers were at the time, I would have been busting them out in the theater because my little gay boy was like, <gasps> This is the best movie ever! Dance beat! Oh yeah, mm mm, da, mm, mm, da, mm, mm. Yeah, that's, that's... Okay, now if you thought that was embarrassing when I just did there, I am going to reveal something to you that I have never revealed to anyone. Seriously. Nobody. Okay, after the movie came out, I ran out and I bought the soundtrack LP. Yeah, an LP. Play on my record player. And it was cool because the cover was in 3D and it came in, it came with 3D glasses that were really cool. They had you know, blood on them and Jason and like dead bodies everywhere. It was really cool. But the thing is, oh my god, I can't believe I'm going to say this. I would play the Friday the 13th Part 3 theme song and I would exercise with my mother's stolen heavy hands. These little, like, two pound weights that I stole from my mother because I thought I was working out. And listen, you also got to understand that when I say working out and I'm putting air quotes around working out, what I'm really saying is I was aerobicizing. Let that sink in. Yeah. Wow. True confessions. Ooh, that sounds so stupid out loud. It sounds stupid in my head too. Okay, 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 okay. 
I'm not proud of that. And I, but it's true, and I still love it in its own completely cheesy, ridiculous sort of way. I love that it sounds nothing like any of the other themes. It's its own freak-ass thing. And that made me happy. Don't look at me! I'm so ashamed! And this is my other memory. When Chris is being put in the cop car at the end, the large woman in black is behind me. I remember very distinctly go, oh, she ain't right no more. Oh, she ain't right no more. My other beef with the film that within five minutes of the film's beginning, you know, less than a minute after the title credits have stopped rolling, we're treated to on-camera pooping. And you know, y'all know how I feel about that. And it's not just on-camera pooping. It's outhouse pooping. And it's liquidy outhouse pooping. It's runny poop. That's gross. And if I'm not mistaken, that dude, that big, like, gross, dairy dude with the must, with the beard and the must, whatever, who's there, whatever. Harold! That was his name. God damn it, Harold! I spent all day washing your clothes! Look what you're doing to him! Harold died with his pants down. Mid-poop, possibly. That's what you get for pooping on camera in a horror movie. I don't feel sorry for you, and I never will. So most of my memories of Friday the 13th Part 3 in 3D do revolve around the large woman of blackness behind us and her comments throughout the movie. And those are the big ones. The chi-chi-ha-has and the, oh, she ain't right no more. But you know what? It's how many years later, and I have never forgotten her. And this movie will always have a special place in my heart. Because of that woman, and because Chris knows how to kick some ass. And Jason not only dons his, his, his hockey mask for the first time, which was awesome, but he also starts mopping. Which is cool. Because, you know, the girls, Debbie's in the shower, and you see her boo for like a second, which was really, come on. Come on. If you're going to do a nip, do the nips. Come on. You already showed him. Show him for a couple of seconds, even. It's mandatory. It's expected in an 80s horror movie. Boo. But Andy gets chopped to pieces. He gets stabbed in the crotch. And when you see him later stuck up in the bin upstairs, uh, you know, above the hammock, he's been dismembered. However, she comes out of the shower. Bup, 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 bup. There's no blood anywhere. So Jason is also an excellent house cleaner. I would like to hire Jason to clean my apartment because these cats will poop anywhere. And so will Brad. Did I just say that? Yes, I did. Anyway, Friday the 13th, Part 3, Spectacular! As always, it's not particularly spectacular, but it's my fucking show. Lick it up, baby. Lick. It. Up. about to come out.
Out of the closet. The nightmare closet. <laughs> now, for those of you new to the show, the nightmare closet is the segment where I go back and I revisit some movie that scared the living shit out of me as a child, but I haven't seen it since. So now I go back and check it out as an adult and see how it stands up to the test of time and my maturity. Shut up! Just because I'm wearing Hello Kitty slippers right now does not make me immature. So, in honor of my 50th episode, I decided to do something extra gay. And I remembered something deep in my memory banks, deep from inside my nightmare closet, and I remembered the gayest horror movie I have ever seen. No, not Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2. No, 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 no. This is a 1981 slasher, I'm putting it in quotes, called The Fan, starring Lauren Bacall, a really young Michael Bean, James Gardner, Maureen Stapleton, a really, really old cast of senior citizens. But what makes it so scary? The scary part is that the film contains original music by the one, the only, Marvin Hamlish. in the 70s knows nothing strikes terror into the heart of the listener like the music of Marvin Hamlish. Yes, the man who brought you such soul-chilling tracks as the theme from Ice Castles, a chorus line, and nobody does it better, nobody does it better. The man who brought terror to adult contemporary easy listening music is now dipping his hands into the horror genre, and nothing will ever, ever be the same. Let us now take a listen to the trailer. Dear Miss Ross, I know of all the famous men in your life, but I adore you as no other ever has. He's Lauren Bacall's number one fan. Sally, he's driving me crazy. Just ignore him from now on. He's harmless. Now, he'll do anything to get her attention, even murder. My darling, it was over very quickly and I feel glad because I never wanted her to suffer. The important thing was to get her out of the way so that we could be together. Dealing with a psychotic, a potential killer. Am I safe, Inspector? Hello, Sally. I don't want to have to kill you. At the age of 50, I'm about to burst upon the world in a musical. Oh, yes. Just a minor detail. There's some fruitcake out there who apparently wants to kill me. Screen legend Lauren Bacall, James Garner, and Terminator's Michael Bain. He's after me now, isn't he? When obsession turns into madness, nothing can stop the fan. Okay, and we're back. Yeah, I know that was an HBO trailer because I couldn't find an actual film trailer. But, uh, oh, you know what? I'm lonely. Just, just, you know, Lauren Bacall had the stalker following her everywhere. So she, you know, she always had somebody by their side. And it's, I just wish I had somebody in here to talk about this movie with me. Hello, Patrick. Patrick, are you there? Yes. This is your, this is your personal secretary. Is it my fairy godmother? It is. Oh, my goodness. Hi. It's... <laughs> That's right. I'm joined today by Scott, the satyr from the Satosphere podcast. Oh, oh, that's French dish. Yeah. Mwah, 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 mwah. 
Yeah, Scott was so kind to jump up my invitation to watch this huge piece of shit with me from my childhood. <laughs> well, I gotta say it's a really good mystery because it leaves a lot of questions, such as, why do you hate me so much? I don't. In my memory, it was a lot gayer. Oh than my it was. god! I really so guilt. I really gilded this Lily. I remembered a hell of a lot more musical sequences. But anyway, I'm way ahead of myself. Now, the story of the fan. Uh, it stars Lauren Bacall as Sally Ross, and she's the. Hello, I'm Lauren Bacall. You are nice. You need to talk about. <laughs> you need to talk about an unending bliss a lot. She said unending bliss five times in the course of this movie. I counted. Oh my god. So there's that part where Maureen Stapleton turns and goes, What's with this bliss shit that I laughed out loud? Oh, that's right. That's right. There's that line. <laughs> anyway, she stars, she's this international star stage and screen, and uh, she's just about to open a musical on Broadway, her first now, time doing her a musical. Her name is Sally Ross, and what does everybody call her? Miss Ross, which is wrong, because there's only one Miss Ross. There is only one Miss Ross. You read that review, too. (laughs) I saw that online as well. There is only one Miss Ross, and it ain't you. (laughs) Anyway, she's about to open a musical, and she starts getting letters, fan letters, from Michael Bean, who is this man who's obsessed with her. And during the course of the movie, they become more and more graphic, they become more and more threatening, and then people start to die. They do. Of boredom. Of, and horrible makeup. What special effects makeup? Oh yeah, yeah, the uh, yeah. I think they just used a tube of stage blood. Yeah, from the they didn't, kit. Well, I think they were appealing they told, to a different audience. Boy, howdy, were they? Yeah. Well, the reason this the was cool. Blind audience. Why well, I'm happy I found an HBO trailer for this is because this is one of those movies in the early days of HBO that was on three times a day, every single day for about six months. And it was cool to be able to stay up late and watch an R-rated movie. And I'm like, oh, fan, I'm going to watch it again. I'm like, oh, my God, it's so intense and scary. This is what the Broadway world must be really like. Oh, God, no. Yeah, yeah, I, I would sing along. Because there's musical numbers. Uh, there's about not, not diamonds. There's about five musical numbers in the course of this thing. And the musical is as bizarre as that, um, that Bette Midler musical in Beaches. You're like, what the fuck? What is, is this about? Show? Yeah, I know. Well, there's this thing about musicals in movies. When they're doing a musical movie, they never seem to make any sense. They're just these flashy, dashy numbers that can't possibly be about anything. Like, what's happening? What what's happening? We're way ahead of ourselves. Yeah, but, we are. Um, I'm watching. But the thing is, there's certain things I do like about the movie. As much as I, we're going to bitch about how boring it is, I really like the score. Not the Marvin Hamlet score. Yeah, because it's very effective at times. Yes, but it's got this... It's Pino... uh, I never know how to say his name. He's the same guy who did Carrie and a whole bunch of the uh, Giallo films. But it's got this relentless Jaws quality to it. Mm -hmm. It never goes faster, it never goes slower, but it's just... That worked for me. The other thing that really worked for me, I discovered, watching the opening credits this time, that the director of photography... You want to take guess what his name is? No, what is it? Dick Bush. <laughs> I just turned into a twelve-year-old boy. Thank I did I? I had to stop the movie. Like Dick Bush, and the thing was, when I saw this, when I was a twelve-year boy, twelve-year-old boy, didn't 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 recognize it at all. So I'm 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 I was I don't know. It's just, you know how bad is a movie when the opening credits are the best thing about the movie? They were the best part. They were very moody and dramatic. Just old pictures of Lauren Bacall throughout. Years and w- strange paintings of her, and the camera just swooping around, and it's really a nicely set up thing. And the great, 
theme playing, Michael Bean reading creepy letters out loud with typing, typing. I say Michael Bean is so pretty in this movie. He is. You're used to he, seeing him all rugged in Terminator. Yeah. I mean, he's like the back of your teeth ache. He's so pretty. Yeah. Oh, yeah. and he wasn't shirtless enough, I didn't think. No, but you know what? All the publicity photos he is. Scenes that aren't in the movie. Oh. They knew what they oh, were saying. Him getting in the swimming pool in nothing but a pair of boxers. Ah. Oh. White boxers, so they would have been see-through. Uh, but you don't get to see that. No you, no, you don't. Well, you know. It's not about him. It's about Lauren Bacall and her saggy it tits. Is. Now, a cougar is an older woman who goes after a younger man. What's the technical term for a younger man who goes after an older woman? I don't know. A much older woman. Well, yeah, one of the dancers in the company goes after her. Well, oh well, here's the, oh well, you're talking about you're talking about Michael Bean. Yes, um, Queen. But it's never said that. No, it's never said, and it's well. I read actually, it's based on a book. If you did not because know, because he wants to have sex with her, and his equipment can satisfy her. Yes. <laughs> Believe me, I have all the necessary equipment to make you very, very happy. Yes. Uh, it was based on a book, and I read the book, actually, um, in Reader's Digest condensed novel form because it was my, – my father used to get those stupid things, so I didn't get the whole thing. Oh, wow. But it was kind of neat because the whole thing was told in letters and uh, telegrams and newspaper clippings, so there was no actual That's cool. narrative, and, and she didn't make it. Oh, she dies in it? Yeah, and he was kind of gay in that, and they well, kind of kept leaning towards this guy is a big queen. But then they shy away from it. It's like it's like the studio said, okay, we're not comfortable with this. Let's throw in this stuff about him wanting to have sex with her. I mean, blatantly have sex with her. Although he's really comfortable in that gay bar. Really I'm sorry. That was the most ungay gay bar <laughs> I have ever seen. <laughs> it reminded me of the movie Cruising. It really did. But it didn't, though. It was the most ungay gay bar. I'm looking around going, given the fact that we spent all this time in Broadway rehearsal halls and 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 a remarkable woman. <laughs> and those bad 70s gay mustaches. Yeah, the gay mustaches. And we've heard disco music throughout it. When they go to the, the dance club, there's some, I mean, the gay club, there's some popular song playing that I recognize, but it was really not very gay. And it was all very mellow and people were playing pinball. Yeah, at first I wasn't sure it was a gay bar until uh, the other. And this the other is the time. 70s. This is the 70s. Come on. This is the best you can come up with. But I guess they shied away from it. Maybe they reshot it, whatever. But again, we're ahead of ourselves. Okay, so um Consult your notes. No, I am looking. I'm just looking on, you know, what, what I've got on here. That's it's um the problem is it focuses so much on her and her problems and not enough on him. His stuff is more interesting. Her stuff is just whining. I'm old. I'm fifty and starting a music and I'm like fifty, really. Okay. That's fine, and it's her, will I get back together with my ex-husband, James Garner? Do I care? Not much. Because, time, first of all, we never find out why they broke up in the first place. They just did. They just did. Because that's what famous people do. Yeah, they break up. And now he's got this blonde, bimbo, floozy girlfriend. And she made a booty call. We got to watch Lauren Bacall make a booty call. It's true. She comes like, I'm just feeling lonely right now, whatever your name is. And oh, I know. I know we're divorced, but like, oh my God. Booty Why don't you leave that girl with the perky tits and come over here to me? Yeah, she's got her brains in her tits. Just, just yeah. hearing Lauren Bacall say tits is fun. So. <laughs> but see, all this backstage stuff is really quite boring. 
and there's a lot surprisingly, of it. Surprisingly boring, yes. Yes. However, her assistant, Maureen Stapleton, I thought she's a hoot. I thought she deserved an Oscar to be in this movie. Thank you. She's really funny, and she's really snarky, and she doesn't put up with any of her star bullshit, but she's the one who's get, actually getting the letters, not yes. Lauren Bacall. She's intercepting them, and she's just writing you know, standard replies back, which pisses him off. He's like, listen, I am not... I am not... <laughs> I will not be I'm no not problem. one of your fans. <laughs> Thank you, Christina. No problem. He's like, I am more than a fan. I'm not one of those psychophant parasites following you around hoping to steal a pen. No, no. I am your de- I am your density. Now I know why I haven't heard from you. Your secretary has been intercepting my letters. Obviously, she is jealous of our relationship. Her possessiveness worries me. Has it occurred to you that she might have lesbian tendencies? So it's her that gets the brunt of it. And by the time, like, so by the time he's murderous. Well, uh, and the fact he doesn't even really kill her. He writes he that he has killed her, but he didn't. And she appears in the in the uh in the hospital with enough bandages. She looks like Claude Rains is in the Phantom of the Opera. Well, he cut her face at least twice. Yes. But and pretty they, probably would be pretty deep. However, in that last scene, which is like three weeks later, totally healed. Totally, totally healed. healed. <laughs> Come on, use some collodion at least to give it some scarring effect. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> but okay, fine. You don't know how much you know, these are old Hollywood egos you're dealing with, too, so you don't know how ugly they wanted to appear. Well, of course, Miss Ross has a great plastic surgeon who helped her secretary. Oh know? yes. Well, of course she did. But um well, she had to be punished. She didn't say he was gonna kill her, so he just punished her. Well, he's, no, he says in the letter, I made it quick. I didn't want her to suffer. Maybe he thought he killed her, but he didn't. But whatever. But regardless. But that was his first time. I'll give him credit. It's his first time. He doesn't realize. Stick around. Make sure they're not breathing. Yeah. And uh, as I was confused with before, she's also kind of sort of possibly dating someone younger person in the cast. Uh, Lauren Bacall's character? Yeah. Like the one, yeah. the one straight guy the in guy, this yeah. entire musical. <laughs> And um, he doesn't like that either. So the next person he goes after is is this boyfriend. And like I said, Maureen Stapleton has been intercepting these letters. So she doesn't know anything about them. Uh, she's try, uh, the sec- Doris is her name, try, has tried to tell Sally about these letters several times. But she's just like, I'm too important, blah, blah, blah. Now, no, by the time, now the time, by the time the police are interested, he's not signing his name anymore or putting on a return address. So now they can't find him, and she's throwing away all the old stuff. Anyway. He follows. You know, one of my favorite my favorite scenes was that scene in the elevator with him <gasps> and Maureen Stapleton, but neither one knows at that time who the other one is. Yes, that is a good scene. And it, it was that scene was almost very Hitchcock. How Hitchcock will sh- let the audience know what's going on, but the characters don't know. I agree. But I it was agree. Just, I thought tension. it was very. Yeah, I thought it was very Brian De Palma, which means it was stolen from Hitchcock. So yes, you're absolutely right. Because I'm True. like, this is this is before after Dress to Kill. Is there going to be an elevator attack here? Because I couldn't really remember what happened. But but no, it happens in the subway later. It's the other thing I enjoyed with this. I always enjoy seeing old sleazy New York. Because mm-hmm. that's how I grew up with it. I don't like this Disneyland that we live in now. So just to see the gross subways. I know I hated them. But I'm like, yeah. So are the subway tunnels really that long? Some of them. Because Maureen Stapleton was walking for like two miles. In Some of them. Subway. There's 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 one on the seven line that connects the seven to the F at Bryant Park, where you walk the full length of the block underground. Bryant Park, where Fashion Week is. Exactly. 
Actually, the scene involving her younger boyfriend. Michael Bean follows him, stalks him to where? It's fun to stay at the YMCA. So, her, boy, her boyfriend's going to go swimming at the YMCA pool. So, or, let's see here. We have a Broadway theater, a YMCA, a gay bar. Yeah, he's, he's a fag. But this is the scene that actually, when it started, I'm like, <gasps> this, is what I, this is what gives me the willies. This scene, I remember this scene freaked me out. Because what happens is her boyfriend is just doing laps in the pool, and it's a crowded pool. You know, it's the middle of the day, so there's tons of people in there splashing and having fun at the YMCA like you do. <laughs> Anyway, Michael Bean goes in in his little box of shorts. He has a straight razor as his weapon. And the guy's doing laps, and Michael Bean just swims underneath him, going in the opposite direction, and just holds the razor up. And guts him like a fish. While the guy just swims right over the pool of blood. Oh, what's going on? By the time they figure out what's going on, this guy's long gone. Yeah. I said, that, that's a willy moment for me. And I don't mean that kind of a willy. No, I, I get you. Yeah. But anyway, he just keeps stalking her. And actually, up until the point where she backs out of the musical and goes to that cabin in the middle of nowhere. Red herring, by the way. Big red herring. Yes. Up until that point, I was okay. And at that point, I had to stop because I got a phone call. And then when I restarted the movie, I'm like, oh, my God, there's another 45 minutes left. Because honestly, anytime they go to a secluded cabin, you're going showdown. That's where the showdown happen. Big showdown because she's all by herself. No, no. Fuck you, they say. <laughs> We're going to go back to Broadway. <laughs> oh, sure. You couldn't make it out in your cabin in the woods, so you come crawling back to Broadway. But let me tell you, Broadway doesn't go for booze. By the go. way, speaking speaking of supporting cast, Hector Elizondo looks so young in this movie. He is. And it's a sweet kind of role that goes nowhere. Yep. Because you think maybe there'll be a romance there, and then he'll be in trouble. Yeah. Yeah, he's the, he's the police captain, of course. What else does he ever play? who's investigating all of this. And there's a weird kind of nice relationship building between him and Lauren Bacall that goes absolutely nowhere. She dumps him for her own husband. Her ex-husband. I was like, oh, is it because he's Latino? Miss Ross does not date the help. <laughs> she doesn't like uncut. No. I guess not. I no. guess not. But, you know. Can we talk about the finale yet? Oh, God. So, oh. anyway, you mentioned that he had gone to a gay bar. Why did he go to the gay bar, Scott? Because he wanted to throw everyone off the track. So he found a guy who looked enough like him. Mm -hmm. Although, wh wh why bother? Because nobody knows what he looks like. And takes him to the roof of his apartment building. And as the the trick is going down on him, mm -hmm. he takes a straight razor and kills him. Mm -hmm. Doesn't say how he kills him. But he kills him and sets him on fire and leaves a suicide note. Oh, I'm sorry I did all this. Oh, this Sally. is how I deserve to go. I'm so sorry, Sally. And obviously in 1980, there was no CSI. No, no. But they don't double check that it is him or isn't him. They just well, even if they did, it would take a long time. There's no computers either. Uh, that's but, true. Yeah, so it's enough time for her to go back into her big musical splash. Even though she's been out of rehearsals, tech rehearsals, mind you, for a week. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What was it called? Never say never. Never say never. Never right. say never. Here we are for the best of the century. For the 23rd night in a row. No energy crisis. My professional advice is get off your hmm and 
performance, you know, we're getting cutbacks between the show, her performing her numbers. And I did air quotes. I don't know if you heard them in my voice. I did. I performing did, yeah. her numbers with him getting ready in the tux and coming to the theater late, might I add. For her final fucking number. If he is such a big fan, why did he wait till her final fucking number? I know. Well, because he probably has seen enough while he was stalking around <laughs> the uh, studio where they were rehearsing to know that this is a huge piece of shit. I'll just be there for her big 11 o'clock number. Hearts. Hearts. Not, not diamonds. diamonds. And so we're treated to endless scenes of this musical, a lot of which we've already seen. <laughs> But now they're in flash. Here we are for the night of a lifetime. For the 23rd night in a row. Uh No energy crisis. My professional advice is get off your uh. And oh my God, go. you know the melody, Jesus Honey, Christ. it came back when I was watching and all of a sudden I was singing along. And then there's that number where she's in the bed that's kind of like a clam. Yeah, yes. She's in this clamshell bed and all these half-naked dancing boys are just spinning around and like, and she let's go do it. She mentions earlier in the film it. that they want her to do a dance number in the bed. That was a dance number? You're just lying there? It was Jesus a dance number for everybody else. And Jeff Casely should chime in with, Hot love, baby, tonight. With no enthusiasm whatsoever. <laughs> now, as absurd as it is that Lauren McCall is doing this musical, we must remember she did win a Tony Award in a real fucking show. She was doing Woman of the Year on Broadway when this movie got released. Oh, my God. It was 1981. My parents went to see it. I remember. It was applause after or before this? Way before. Oh, my God. Way before. That's early 70s. But this was 1981. My parents went to see it, and the night they went to see it, somebody dropped a cinder block. From the top of the building, um, on one of the cast members as they were exiting after the show. Holy crap! Yeah, one of the chorus boys. Wow. Well, we digress. We're treating all this as a final showdown in the theater, which actually isn't bad. Oh, it just doesn't you know end. The only thing that pissed me off about the final showdown uh-huh. is right before James Garner comes back. Uh, I'll be back in twenty minutes. Make it fifteen. How about eighteen? So now we're thinking, oh, James Garner is going to come in at some point. No. 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 no, no, he, no. he doesn't show up. No, no. Old lady gets to, <laughs> gets to fight off the kid by himself, by herself, and win. She uses psychology against him. And it's actually a decent scene, except it just the movie just ends unsatisfactorily. <laughs> unsatisfactorily. No, I can't even say the word. It's just a second ending. It just kind of leaves you like, puh. That moment when he says, I just want you to love me and breaks down in his arms. Yeah. It's actually bosom. kinda kinda touching. Yeah. You kind of feel sorry for him all of a sudden. Uh-huh, but she knocks him in the throat instead. <laughs> love you. Please love me. Love. That was what you wanted, wasn't it? I want you. I love you. Of course you do. Now, I want to ask you something, Patrick. Yes. Where did she knife him in the throat at? Do you remember? This stuck out. This stuck out to me. They're right against the orchestra pit. Uh huh. When, that's when she kills him. 
Uh-huh. Yet the very next scene, he is in the second row of the audience. She's propped him up. In she, his seat, yes. <laughs> in his seat. She has dragged the body, not to the first row, that's right there. No, to the second row. Like, wow, look at that. <laughs> well, you know, hey, I don't know. It just seemed like a really tacked on ending, like something was missing, and they just stopped. Well, honestly, I felt that way about a lot of the gore. I felt like they went back and to try to compete, because this is what, early 1980? Yeah. So we're just at the start of the Friday the 13th era. Yeah. So it really felt like they went back and tacked on. You know, at one point, uh, I love how they foreshadow the riding crop. Oh, God. <laughs> it's the worst foreshadowing I've ever it's seen. It's the worst I'm number just, of all of them. It's like the weird I've Paris thing. I'm going to place this riding crop right here. And we're going to get a long, top. loving close-up of it. So later on, when she grabs it to defend herself, she whacks him. Now, Patrick, I'm, um, I'm not very vanilla, and I may have a riding crop right here next to me. That's beside uh -huh. the Yes. But when you whack somebody, uh -huh. it leaves a mark. Yes. And the very next scene, he still is pretty as ever. Well, then the next scene... They have decided to put a swath of rouge on his face. A schwa. <laughs> a little swath of rouge to indicate oh, he's been smacked by this riding crop. And I just started laughing so hard. You would. You're sick, man. You're sick, man. One of my favorite things, one of my favorite, was when she kept lighting up in the hospital. I'm like, in the oh hospital. my God, this is such a different time. And then they, she lit up in the restaurant. I was like, <gasps> you're in a restaurant. Oh, yeah, it's allowed, Ben. But smoking in the hospital. I kind of imagine a nurse coming in going, I'm sorry, Miss Ross, could you put that out? And she's like, go fuck yourself. <laughs> I'm Sally Ross. I'm Sally Ross. I'm the other Miss Ross. I'm the I'm the white Miss Ross. <laughs> oh, God in heaven. Um, but did you notice there's a couple there's a couple people early in their career here um, in little teeny tiny bit roles. Griffin Dunn was in this. I don't know if you know who he is. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's the uh, production assistant. Yeah, he was the production assistant who was in American Werewolf in London as, you know, huh? the, the guy who gets eaten on the on the moors. And the girl who worked with him in, uh, with Michael Bean in the music store? Yeah. Dana Delaney. I didn't catch that. Really? Yeah, I, I didn't know it before. I just, I, before this time, I caught it in the closing credits. Oh, wow. How about that? I'm looking at uh, Wikipedia. Dwight Schultz from the A-Team is in it, too. Oh, my goodness gracious. I don't see what part he played, but I, I remember Dwight Howie Mad Murdoch. Must have been a dancer. <laughs> I don't know. They had enough of those weird cocktail parties. He was probably in there. Dwight Schultz was the director. Oh, my God. Oh, okay. Oh, he kept yelling at her. Yes. Uh, <laughs> just move one side of the stage faster. She's like, uh, have a snit. I'm like, whatever. But uh, the movie actually, one of the the reason they say this movie tanked is that uh, it was released in April 1981, and but in December of 1980, John Lennon got assassinated by a stalker. And where was he shot? In front of the building that Rosemary's that baby. Own, yes. That it's also her building in this one. Is it? Yes. Is it? Yes. I didn't catch that. He, oh my god, that's fucked up. John Lennon gets shot in front of the building that's her home in this movie. Oh, my God. No one. Oh, that's just awful. That's unfortunate. Oh, my goodness gracious. Yeah, that's the reason why I tank, though. Not because it's a boring piece of crap. 
It did win an award, though. I don't know if you know that. Actually, it was nominated for an award. Oh, no, you're kidding me. Sure it was. Hearts Not Diamonds. Oh, no, 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 don't. Was no, nominated for Razzie. For best songs? Oh, for thank you. For worst songs. <laughs> However, oh, however, you. none of the other songs. He only wrote two songs. He wrote A Remarkable Woman, Marvin Hamlisch, I'm talking here, and uh, Hearts Without Diamonds. All those other great little snippets of songs that got no recognition whatsoever, which I figured the heart and, heart and soul of the film, were written by my other favorite credit in the movie. Additional music by Louis St. Louis. Louis St. Louis. He's no Dick Bush, but he's Louis St. Louis. <laughs> I love yeah. this bit of trivia. Maureen Stapleton plays Star Secretary Belle Goldman in the movie. In the same 1981 year, Stapleton played Emma Goldman in Reds, for which she won a Best Supporting Actress <laughs> Oscar. <laughs> so 1981 was the year of the Goldmans for Miss Stapleton. That's nice for her. That's yeah. nice for her. No wonder her face healed so quickly. Indeed, yeah. Yes, she had to look nice for the Oscar presentation. Okay, Scott, I think we might wrap this puppy up. Oh, Patrick, thank you for having me on, even though I did have to watch this trick. Yes, but your, your life will never be the same, and that music will be with you always. Actually, I do have to say, it did slightly remind me of a better film, and that's Fade to Black. You know what? I haven't seen that since it was on HBO as a kid. Oh, that's another one I, I need to revisit. I just remember Fade. some, well, we'll talk, I remember the Marilyn Monroe girl and a, and a, and a, and a picket fence. I remember a certain scene with under a blanket. Oh, that's what I remember. One of those scenes. It was one of those. Uh, your impaler liked the scene, right? Well, it's the first time I ever saw a guy beat off on on film. But not the last. Yep. No. 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 Uh, then, no. then the Bellamy came along. Oh. Okay. All right. So thank you so much for joining us, Scott. Hey, you have a show coming out, don't you? Like a musical play. I do. I am in rehearsals for. Hairspray, which opens up in two weeks. And where is that? Where can people get information? I do have listeners in San Francisco besides you. Oh, my goodness. Well, this is going to – the show is in uh, Carmel, California at Pack Rep Theater, and I am playing a small, tiny little role of Edna. There ain't nothing small or tiny about that role, girl. No, and this is my voice. This is – I'm going to go for Dr. Girlfriend. For, for Good. Good. I'm so proud of you. You're a star. You're a star. And uh, where can people find you on the internet? You know, I have my own little podcast called The Seder Sphere, mm. where I talk about theater and role-playing games and hockey and uh, my best friend, The Impaler. And it's just a fun little show. It's about 30 minutes and weekly, and I hope folks come listen to it. You can find us on iTunes as Seder Sphere, or go to our website at www.sedersphere.blogspot.com. Dot com. Well, thank you, Scott. Can I tell you something? Yes, you can. The first time I started talking about you and stuff to Mr. Brad, and I told him that you had a show called The Seder Sphere, he asked me if it was about Judaism. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, we celebrate the high holidays on my uh, podcast. Yes, I'm like, yes, it's, 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 it's Passover every day. No, I'm a creature of <laughs> No, mythology. I know what it is. I know what it is. This satyr, which we're known for raping and sexuality and all that other good stuff. Well, rape's just a sideline. Yes, well, you know. But I've got to go because I've got to get ready because I'm going to the theater tonight. We're going to see I'm gonna go see Avenue, Avenue Q. Q. Yeah. I think it's fascinating that there are local productions of that going on when it's still running here. I know, but anyway. Yeah. It's lucky for you. It's lucky for us. It's lucky for everybody. Now get the hell out of here.
I will. And whatever you do, whatever you do, don't stab anybody while you're there. I'm going to try not I'm to. I'm watching you. I'm but watching you. But if I do, I'll be going for their hard not Not, not diamonds. Love you. Bye-bye. Love you, too. No one played She was just diamonds. I was trapped in their setup. No let-up I don't care if I don't fly around the world again. But oh, it's not that easy. I don't know where to start. I've played with diamonds for so long. It's hard to recognize a heart. I'll give you hearts. Quieter than the world tonight Keep me from the noise and light Keep your diamonds Hold on tight to me Patrick, it's Fanny. Um, Hi, Fanny. I did email you, like, ages ago. Well, don't feel like ages ago to me, but I think it was. Uh, there's been all sorts of stuff going on. I see. And due to all that, I'm, like, totally behind in the podcast again now, and I've never <gasps> had a chance to get back to you. Oh, dear. Um, probably thinking, where did this bitch go? But, yeah, I'm still here. I'm still here. I'm just catching ah, up. Good. I was um, wondering where my Fanny the other was. Day I was listening to about your Halloween haunted houses stuff. That sounds like totally awesome to me. We don't get shit like that in London. No. Um, Come here. But Brad will pay. Sorry, I'm like rambly. <laughs> uh, 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 I'm rubbish at leaving messages. Oh. Uh, so I probably sound stupid, but no, forgive me. Forgive me. Um, anyway, it's like middle of January, but I'm still going to say Happy New Year. Um, Still counts. Love ya. Um, last year was a bit shit. Hopefully this year will be a bit better. Um, also, last year, best films be uh, Attack the Block and Insidious for me. Don't know okay. about you. I ain't got to your New Year thing yet, so I don't know what you're going to say. Um, okay, love ya. Take care. Bye. Fanny, thank you so much for finally calling in because that finally makes you a first-time caller! Yay! It's been so long since I've been allowed to do that because my first-time callers keep telling me that I'm their first-time callers and that I'm going to play the ding-ding-dings. But fuck y'all! Fanny got the ding-dings. That, that sounds dirty because it's not doubly dirty because you're British because I know Fanny means something different over there than it does here. On either side of the pond, I don't want to bling-bling in my Fanny. But <laughs> I digress. I'm sorry you don't have haunted house attractions over there. I can't believe that. That's terrible. That is just sad. And uh, so come over. Come over. I'll make Brad pay because that's what he's good for. Um, Attack the Block. I agree. Was a great film. However, since I did not review it on the show at the time, I did not include it on my best of list. However, I'm thinking for my next show 
or sometime in the upcoming in up, upcoming episodes, I'm going to hold my listeners responsible for movies that they've recommended. So things like uh, Attack the Block and um, Stakeland and Grave Encounters. I'm gonna get to you. I'm gonna. I'm going to take a look at all these, and I'm going to let you all know what I think. And I am going to come down on you if you recommended them, and I didn't like them. And I will come down on you so hard that you will say, like, hey, that was harsh. You want to talk about rambling? I'm rambling. And I'll see you call back, so hold the phone, Fanny. I'll be right back. Don't hold the phone with you, Fanny, because that's unsanitary. Anyway. Hello, Fanny Arlo again. Oh my gosh, it's Fanny. Uh, I just forgot to mention in my last thing, I've got a little uh, voice PS here. Mm. Uh, basically, I love the Mr. Brad theme song. Oh. It's really good. <laughs> um, I think it should be maybe number one. I don't I know. Maybe Mr. Brad should be on stage, like oh, dancing oh to it on top of the pops. Oh, on top of the pops, oh. they got rid of that ages ago. But you get Bring what it I mean. Back. Um, it's making me think. I want my own theme song. I want someone to come up with a theme song for me. You can't, like, just get one, though. You can't ask for it. If you ask for it, it's going to be forced. Right. You don't want to force that sort of thing. It's got to be spontaneous. It's, it's true. Gotta be, it's true. Like, you can't ask for a nickname. Like, nope, I didn't come up happened. with Fanny Arlo. That was just given to me. Mm. You know, I didn't ask for it. It's spontaneous. Now it's stuck. Poof. Uh, but it's fanny. the same with a theme song, I think. Um, I just want a theme song, and if anyone wants to provide me with one, oh, well, no, asking for it, that's the wrong way to go. It's really the wrong way to go. I'm like, sorry, I've had a bit to drink. Got <coughs> a girl. Getting a bit out of control. <laughs> um, but maybe if I hint in a certain way, I maybe if I can do subliminal messages to my best friend, he might be able to make one up for me. Mm. I don't know. How do I get? How do I go about getting one without it being forced? Can't make it up myself. Can you help me out? Okay. Anyway, I'm going totally off the track. Love you, bye. I love you too. Okay, Fanny. Now you've brought up an interesting quandary here. Um, the quest for a theme song. It is like the quest for a nickname. However, I don't think asking for it is wrong. Letting the world know that you're in the market for a theme song—that's a little bit different. Because, take for instance the Mr. Brad song. He didn't ask for it. I wasn't looking for one. I just found it. And there it was. It's actually from an Xbox game called Comic Jumper. And if you go to YouTube and, uh, you know, Google, not Google, but if you go to YouTube and do a search on Comic Jumper and Brad, you should get the whole two and a half minutes of that little piece of magic. But, um, you know, I find little musical intros for people who guests on the show and stuff, you know, it's just moments of inspiration that come to me. And if I'm listening to a piece of music and all of a sudden I've got Fanny in my brain, maybe that'll be your theme song. It might never happen. But if it does, you'll be the second to know after myself. Okay, Fanny, thank you for calling in. And um, good luck on the search, ma'am. Good luck on the search. Hey, Patrick, this is Trey. Oh, hey, baby, um, how you I'm doing? I'm calling this time about a movie I just saw that is just such a piece of crap, and I have to warn everyone away from it. Yes. It's Wrong Turn 4. Um, oh. Yeah, no. no big surprise there. I mean, I didn't really care for the first Wrong Turn. I like Part 2, Part 2 Loved it. Land, and 
This one is just, it's awful. Um, it's the origin of the whole stupid series, and it takes uh-huh. place in the snow. So I thought, you know, maybe kind of interesting. A little change of pace. A snowy atmosphere could be good. Maybe. No. I mean, Apparently the biggest not. problem with the movie was that I've, I've watched a lot of horror movies. I've watched probably thousands of them. Really? I've never had one that had a cast that was this bland and completely devoid of personality. Huh. There were nine, I think, nine characters. Uh-huh. I don't even know if they had names. Oh. I think three, I caught three of their names. The rest were basically... Meat. Douchebag guy number one, douchebag uh, guy number two, uh-huh. shrill girl number one, shrill girl number two. They were all, they all looked the exact same. They all looked like they stepped out of an Abercrombie and Fitch catalog. All oh, the good, and they deserve to die. Except that one was blonde, one was brunette, one was kind of curly, and you had the token black girl. Nah. That's how I knew who she was, because she was the only one who wasn't Lily White. Okay. They were all interchangeable. No personality whatsoever. I mean, you spend an hour, an hour and 15 minutes with some of these characters, and some sort of personality or something to um, separate them from each other didn't even accidentally happen. Wow. It's like they were told to just be void. <laughs> so, yeah, so you have a, car- a movie with... I mean, I can't even say the guys are du- the guys are kind of douchebags. That so they have had some personality characteristics. The girls, nothing. I wow. Mean, not, you don't even have like the smart one, the bad girl one, the bitchy <laughs> one. No, they were nothing. all the same. Except you had the lesbian couple. And let uh, me get to that. So the, the way they introduce all these characters is that after the prologue of where we set up the killer's you know origin, uh-huh. you go to a dorm room and you see a girl having sex with a boyfriend. Uh huh. And then you see in the bed next to them, there's a lesbian couple having sex with each other. Because that happens all the time. that's what lesbian couples like to do. They like to have sex in a room with a heterosexual couple getting on next to them. Well, they're waiting for the guy to come over and cure them. This this girl walks and is like, hey, you guys, we got to get going to our trip. And she sees they're all screwing. And she's like, oh, you guys, five minutes. Everyone laughs and she steps out. It was the most bizarre scene I've ever seen. Ew. And then later on in the movie, these kids come across this sanitarium that's been abandoned. Of course, the power's still on. And they yeah, all go their like different ways. And so the lesbian couple decides they're going to have sex. Of course. They're going to have sex in a room with the lights turned on and the door wide open. Uh-huh. They're all making out with each other. And one of the douchebag frat boys walks by, looks at them, starts to watch. The black girl looks, sees him looking, smiles. He smiles back, shakes his head. She keeps kissing her girlfriend. He walks off. Once again, it just acts like every lesbian wants some stupid frat boy to watch him get it on. Uh-huh. Sure they do. Anyway, the only thing I can say about this was that the gore was pretty good. It was a pretty okay. brutal movie. The most of the kills, they weren't quick. So I mean, Ooh. it was kind of torture porny. Uh, I didn't like it. I ended up fast forwarding through the whole thing, and it was just a piece of crap. But Aww. my God, they didn't even try to give these people any kind of personality. So mm. wrong turn for suck it. Don't watch it. Anyway, hope the New Year's treat you well. Talk to you later. Bye. Wow, Trey, I'm sorry that that movie was that bad. It sounds terrible. I was not interested anyway. I'm not, I'm not a big fan of the Wrong Turn to, the Wrong Turn series. I love the second one, but the rest of them, who cares? I don't care. Cannibal Hillbillies are so over. So very, very over. And these were never interesting to start with. Oh, gosh. And the lesbians. I hate a horror movie lesbians. They're just, oh, straight guy lesbians. I, I think I mentioned this in uh, my Bikini Girls on Ice Mini review. There were two characters that were all of a sudden 
introduces lesbians. And they're having a conversation with the third girl, and they're in the cafeteria at school, and they're sitting across from each other with the other girl in the middle, and the one girl, the straight girl's talking, and the other two are looking at each other like, uh, 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 licking their fingers and just like doing the uh, through their fingers. And I'm just like, is that how lesbians behave? I guess so. I apparently have been hanging out with the wrong lesbians because the movies don't lie. They just don't lie. But uh, even though you had a shitty time with this movie, thank you for stepping up and warning the rest of us. That is a cool thing to do. Things like that do give you gold stars. Gold stars cannot be redeemed for Tiara. Ever. And as for the new year, it's been treating me okay, Trey. Now we've been talking about some stuff, Trey and I, because we're like, you know, we're all sisters, him and I. And uh, some, some, some radical stuff is going on that is requiring some radical change. So I'm not going into it here. This is not the place for it. But um, I've adopted a mantra. I was talking with my friend Doug, who is a career coach. And I don't know. He's like, well, you know, someday they'll make a Lifetime movie about all of this. And I said, yes, and Nancy McKeon will play me. And he says, I love Nancy McKeon. Nancy McKeon is a pillar of strength. That's what you need to be, Patrick. You need to be the Joe. Stop being the Tootie and be the Joe. And in all seriousness, it's a good mantra. I have been the Tootie for a long time, and it is time for me to step up, butch it up, tough it out, and get raw, and get find my inner socket wrench. And that just sounds like an emergency room visit that you hear about in, um, you know, urban legends. So we're just, we're just. We're just, we're just, we're, we're, I don't endorse putting a socket wrench in your ass is what I'm saying. Thank you for the call, Trey. Hey, Patrick. It is Michelle in Nashville. I have a story for hey, you Michelle. from hey. what I'm going to call Tales of My 911 Job in a Small Town. It's not really Ooh. a small town. It's a whole county. Anywho, okay. well. doesn't matter. There's actually... It's a small town, and then there's, like, a city where there's, like, gangs, so it's very twisted and strange. Anywho, the story okay, is, and this is what I thought of you, I got a call, bloop, 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 911, okay, it's an emergency, blah, blah, it's such and such a place, and I say, what happened? What's going on? And she says, I left my tampon in, and it's been three weeks, and I just remembered. Yeah. And I said, okay, how do you know this? And she says, because I feel like my vagina is exploding. Mm. Yeah. Fortunately, we have mute buttons to where we can all, like, pause it. Everybody can hear it. Everybody in the dispatch center is able to click on this oh. call. So everybody heard it. Everybody starts laughing at this poor girl. Um, I don't know how you could, like, forget I... and, like, three <laughs> weeks later go, my vagina hurt. Oh, my God, I forgot to say. Yeah. I thought you might like that. I don't. I that is your great story for your 50th episode. You're Thank welcome. You. Have Thank a great you. time with your 50th episode, and I'm excited to hear 51. Talk to you oh later. Oh, my God. I think there won't be one. Oh, God. I think after that phone call, I might just retire. But seriously. Ew! God, what is the matter with people? I'm sorry. I, I realize you don't understand how people, someone be able to put in a tampon and forget about it for three weeks. I have no, you know, a correlation to that. I can't, I can't, I got, I got nothing. I got nothing. I just hit myself in the face with my own microphone. Okay. Wow. Oh, well, I love 911 calls. Oh gosh. I had a friend. Well, I have a friend. He's a gynecologist now. Gay gynecologist, whatever. But he, 
my favorite story of his, this was a long time ago. He worked in the ER doing his internship. And, um, you know, it was one of those stories about somebody coming in with something stuck in their ass. And it was a cell phone. This is not particularly funny. Except for the fact, you know, I mean, it is funny, but it's just that, you know, cell phone is very common to have up your ass for some reason. But please keep in mind, this was like 1987. Cell phones at the time were like the size of a shoebox. So this guy had a shoebox up his ass. But the thing is that made it great. He said what was funny was not so much that the guy had a giant cell phone up his ass, but that it rang three times while he was on the operating table and we were getting it out. I'm sorry, Phil can't come to the phone right now because it's in his ass. People are fucked up. And hey, girl, I could te- I keep watching girls who like boys who like boys. Colon, Nashville. And uh, for those of you who don't know, it's on the uh, Sundance channel and it's a reality show about, you know, gay men. Well, it's supposed to be about women and their gay best friends, but it tends to focus more on the gays than the women. So, because we're just more interesting, goddammit. But Michelle has a friend on it who's a stand up comedian named Peter, and he's the only person on the show that I don't want to drown. And I'm just glad his, his storyline has gone beyond. His goddamn girlfriend and her ovaries. She's one of these girls who's just obsessed with getting pregnant, and that's her entire personality. That's all she talks about is pregnant, 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 gotta have a baby. Oh, the urge to have a baby. Wanna have a baby. Baby, 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 baby. And now she got pregnant. She's never on the show. So I'm like, good. We can focus on Peter and his pretty eyes. He's got pretty eyes. He seems very nice. Have him call in. Now, the thing is, I also know somebody on the show, and this is true confessions time. Um, I, I know... Shane Stevens, uh, who's the country singer. I knew him in New York. I sang in a group with him called the Uptown Express. And uh, that was a particularly dark period of my life. It was right after I was sick for so long and was getting back on my feet. And I really shouldn't have been performing yet. I wasn't ready and I wasn't ready to deal with other people. So I wasn't in the best of places. And in my head, I've demonized all the people in that group, including Shane. So um, I... I'm going to go on record and publicly, pu- publicly apologize to Shane for my behavior during that period and for anything I might have said about you since. Because I had to say, even though I, he didn't have, from what I know of Shane, he didn't find Jesus. He hadn't found Jesus yet at the time. And now that he has, he seems to be more together than he was. But then again, that was coming from the perception of someone who wasn't together. But anyway, true confession, Shane Stevens, I forgive you. I hope you forgive me. Let's all hug. And have Peter call me because he's, he's cute. Okay, bye. Thanks thanks for calling, Michelle. And see you at 51. Maybe. Take a tampon out. I have your phone number now. I'm going to have to call you at home and check with you. Did you take a tampon out? Nah, but I won't. I really won't. No, I... I... <laughs> well. Oh, my God. Scream queens. That's me. So, I just want to let you know. I yes. started listening to your podcast. Uh huh. And I'm already caught up all the way. Up to God, forty something. Wow. Whatever the fuck many you have. Good lord. Anyway. Love, 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 love. Your show. Uh-huh. Um I was listening to all those podcasts like Double Feature now playing and you know they'd occasionally do horror movies. I I love horror. And Good for you. Ever since I was a little young and I loved horror. Yay. Now finally I found Scream Queen. 
which <laughs> is all 100% horror. Damn right, Scrippy. You've probably I made my life. English. You know, I live all the way in Washington State, where uh, you're in New York. That's like the other side of the freaking country. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I'm not very good at y'all. You know what I mean, the stuff on maps. Anyway, um, I love your show, you know, a lot. Um, you and me have really good taste in horror. Like Damn right we do. Things. No, I don't want to be stuck up ass right now, and I probably know you're going to say him, and then you're going to go, fuck you. <gasps> like you do. You know, I just get kicked out when you say, fuck you. As well you should. You make all the dirty innuendos. No, I just really like that. I love your show. Keep up the good work. Continue. Please don't stop anytime soon. Okay, um, let me let me preface this by saying I loved every second of that. That was awesome. You're like a mini version of me on the other side of the country. And that's terrifying, actually. But now I think it's cool and terrifying, actually. But I've got two things that I wanted to say. I want to say that was the best imitation of me I have heard. I am one step closer, I think. Based on this call, I am one step closer to having my lifelong goal achieved, which is to have people someday dress up as me for Halloween. I don't know what that means yet. Somehow, it's some kind of a lifelong dream. And someday, it will happen. And the first step started here, I think. The second thing is, what's your name, child? You didn't say who you were. That's not cool. I mean, I, I, this could have been a joke. This could have been Mr. Brad in the other room for all I know. Even though you weren't all like hillbilly like, oh, well, you're the greatest podcast that ever was. And stuff like that. So I don't think it's him. But I don't know who you are, goddammit. So you know what I'm going to have to say to you. You're not a, you're not a pompous asshole. Not at all. If you've got an excellent taste in horror, movie, horror movies, you're in the right place. You are with your people. I am your people. But I don't know who the hell you are, sir, so fuck you! Fuck you and the anonymous horse you rode in on, god damn it! And by the way, are you high? You sounded a little high. It's okay if you're high. The show's better if you're high. As a matter of fact, I'm going to tell you a story right now because I was high this week. I don't normally get high, to be perfectly honest. But uh, as some of you know, my sister Teresa passed away of cancer in September. And while she was sick, while she was really suffering, I went out and I arranged to buy her some pot to help ease you know, her, her, her nausea and see if she can eat and stuff. She refused it. She didn't want it. She said she wasn't that cool. So it sat in my drawer ever since. And sometime this week, I don't remember why. I was real I couldn't sleep, I think, or I don't remember what it was. But I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. It's here. It's a little one-hit cigarette type thing. So I took my one hit, and apparently this shit either I'm a lightweight or this shit was lethal. Because I was watching TV. I think I was watching the new AbFab, and oddly enough, the new AbFab did not make me laugh as hard as this commercial did. I laughed so hard from this commercial. I thought I was going to hyperventilate. Like, I couldn't breathe. Like, AbFab came back on, 
played out, the episode ended, and I'm looking at like the next show in the lineup, and I'm still like, <laughs> and I'd settle down, and I'd think about what I thought, and all of a sudden, I would forget what it was that made me laugh, so I'd have to think about it, and then it would make me laugh all over again, repeat that vicious cycle about 10, 15 times, and you'll see what I mean, and I actually took a moment, and thank you for reminding me of this, whether you're high or not, I said, I probably tomorrow, I'm not going to find this funny at all, so I wrote on a piece of paper somewhere on my desk here, clues to what it was, and I know it was a commercial, and I don't know what it was, and I'm looking for the piece of paper, and I hope I find it. If this is okay, I found it. It says National Steel. National. Ah! Oh! Okay, yes, okay. <laughs> this isn't funny at all. Okay, it was this commercial for like. Uh, are you expanding your business? Do you need no more room in your home? We'll call National Steel, and we'll build an extension for you that's made out of National Steel. And they showed, there was this woman, this chunky woman, sitting, standing in front of a house. And then in the second shot, you know, this is all like digitally imposed stuff, like green screen background stuff. And she's standing there in front of this pile of crates, this big pile of crates. But they were skewed, you know, for distance. To make it look like you were looking at them from above. However, she was not that way. So all of a sudden, it was a little tiny box at the bottom. And then there was a huge box about at the section of her waist. So she's like, so do you have a problem with space in your room or apartment or business? Do you have, and I'm like, do you have a big box? You need an extension because you got a big box. Ah! Half an hour worth of laughing over that. It really wasn't that funny. So if you're high, that was a long way to go to say that if you're high, that's okay. Just keep it in moderation. Thank you. I've spoken. And you know what? I don't care. If someone out there is like, oh my god, Patsy smoked pot. Oh my god, Patsy bought pot. It was for my sister. She was dying. And she died. Arrest me. And fuck you while you're at it. Thank you. Next call. This took a really long time. God damn it. Fucking son of a bitch. Penis. Ass. Twat. Uh, you know what? When I am just... When I've got nothing left but just the... basest of obscenities. It is time to wrap this puppy up. For the 50th motherfucking time, y'all. Thank you again for joining me on this little journey. And hey, if you want to be like all these super cool folk who called in, you can give me a call at 347-767-3509. Or you can write me at crew at screamqueens.com. And that's Queens with a... Oh, come on. I've said this 50 times now. Come on. You should know this. With a Z! You can like me on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter. And you can jump in the conversation over at palaver.com. That's P-A-L-A-V-R.com. Now, uh, I was talking to listener Evan on Facebook. And he asked for my recommendation on some good new horror fiction that was out. And actually, I've been so busy doing this for you all... I don't have a lot of time to read anymore. So, you know, I, I, this is my sacrifice for you. So if you have a book suggestion for Evan or for anybody, the entire community, for me, head on over to Palaver, that's P-A-L-A-V-R.com, and look for the book discussion and voice your opinion. Let it ring out loud and strong. Uh, like that. 
But speaking of Let It Ring Out and Strong, uh, tickets are on sale for the Big Gay Sing 4, which is my next concert with the New York City Gay Men's Chorus. And unlike our other concerts, which are stuffy and, you know, uh, you know, Christmassy and sacred and stuff, this one is just about gay, 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 gay. It's a sing-along, obviously. It's lots of popular music, lots of embarrassing stuff. And our whole goal is to be so gay that all the gay men in the audience are sitting there going, Oh my God! Oh my God! This can't possibly get any gayer. And then we do. And then we get gayer again. We have a reputation to live up to. Because last year, somebody wrote the re- somebody wrote of, of Big Gay Sings, said, The Big Gay Sings series makes Priscilla Queen of the Desert look like Monday Night Football. And that is awesome. So please... Come on down and see the show. Uh, information is up at nycgmc.org, but don't buy your tickets just yet because I'm going to have a discount code just for y'all. Save some money. See an awesome show. Uh, aside from that, coming up for our next show, I have to stop saying next week because I'm semi-weekly. I almost said bi-weekly, but no, no, no. I'm semi-weekly, to be grammatically correct. Uh, well, we're heading into the slow season. This is shit season for movie releases, as we all know. So like I said, I'm thinking of doing a listener... A hold the listener accountable section. So I'll be looking at some of the things that people have recommended to me. So if you want to play along at home, that would be Attack the Block. That would be Grave Encounters. And that would be Stakeland. Now I might, I might do them all at once. I might spread them out a little bit. I don't know yet. It depends what happens in the next couple of, you know, the next few days. However, this for certain, I'm going to be talking about the new... Directed DVD, as far as I know, Guillermo del Toro produced thriller Julia's Eyes or Los Ojos de Julia or something like that. But um, please, by all means, play along at home. Call in. Let me know what you think. If you got a movie that you want me to talk about or that you just loved and want to share with the rest of us or hated and want to save the rest of us, let me know, goddammit, because that is cool. And you're cool. So live up to your coolness and be even cooler and I don't even know what I'm saying. Good lord, 50 times of this. And I still keep falling over my own tongue. So let me tell you this, kids. Until next time, continue to make the world a creepier place. And remember, as my grandmama used to say, I remember when I turned 50, your grandfather tried to stick it in my pooper. So I punched him in the ding-ding. Some of the music for tonight's program has been provided by Mavio's Music Service. Check them out at music.mavio.com, bitches! Oh, one of our little special spots. Yes. <laughs> yes, we're going to read from literature. Read from literature. Explain, Dawn. Now, what this is, is um, Madonna was in Hungary filming the movie Evita when she was interviewed yes. by the Budapest newspaper Blick. 
Mm. The questions were asked in Hungarian, then translated mm -hmm. into English for her. Yes. Her replies were then translated back into Hungarian. So can you see it got a bit mangled? Right. Mm -hmm. And legend has it that USA Today wanted a copy of it. Mm -hmm. So the Blick interview was then retranslated from Hungarian back into English, and this is the result. Okay. I'll be Blick. Oh, you're, you're going to interview me? Yeah, and you be Am Madonna. I Madonna. I'll just okay. do my voice, though, can I? Yeah, you use your ordinary Madonna voice, and I'll use my ordinary yes. voice. So <coughs> I'm Blick, the Hungarian newspaper. Mm -hmm. Madonna, Budapest says hello with arms that are spread-eagled. Did you have a visit here that was agreeable? Are you in good odour? <laughs> you are the biggest fan of our young people who hear your musical productions and like to move their bodies in response. Thank you for saying these compliments holds up hands. Please stop taking sensationalist photographs until I have removed my garments for all to see. This is a joke I have made. Mad Madonna, let's cut towards the hunt. Mm -hmm. Are you a bold hussy woman that feasts on men who are tops? Yes, yes. This is certainly something that brings to the surface my longings. <laughs> in America, it is not considered to be mentally ill when a woman advances on her prey in a discotheque setting. <laughs> with hardy cocktails present <laughs> and there is a more normal attitude towards leather play toys that also makes my day <laughs> hardy cocktails what do we think test of the d'urbervilles oh. with the ice <laughs> so blick goes on to say is yeah. this how you met carlos your love servant who is reputed oh. did you know he was heaven sent right off the stick or were you <laughs> dating many other people in your bed at the same time no no he was the only one i was dating in my bed then so it is a scientific fact that the baby was made in my womb using him <laughs> but as regards those questions enough i am a woman not a test mouse <laughs> so that must have been guinea pig wasn't it it must yeah. have been guinea pig yeah carlos is an everyday person who is in the orbit of a star who is being muscle trained by him not a sex machine <laughs> Ah, I see. May we talk about your other baby, your movie, then? Mm -hmm. Please do not be denying that the similarities between you and the real Evita are grounded in basis. Mm -hmm. Power, money, tasty food, Grammys, all these elements are afoot. <laughs> what is up in the air with you? <laughs> Evita never was winning a Grammy. Perhaps not. But as to your film, trying to bring your reputation along a rocky road, can you make people forget the bad explosions of Who's That Girl and Shanghai Surprise? <laughs> to which Madonna replies, I am a tip-top starlet. That is my job that I am paid to do. Okay. Here's a question from Left Space. What was your book Slut about? <laughs> It's called Sex, my book. Not in Hungary. Here, it was called Slut. <laughs> How did it come to publish? Were you lovemaking with a man-about-town printer? Do you prefer making suggestive literature to fast-selling CDs? There are different facets to my career, Highway. I am preferring only to become respected all over the map as a 100% artist. There is much interest in you from this geographic region, so I must ask this final questions. How many Hungarian men have you dated in bed? Are they number one? How are they comparing to Argentine men, who are famous being tip-top as well? Well, to, <laughs> to avoid aggravating global tension, I would say it's a tie. 
No, no, I am serious now. See here, I am working like a canine all the way around the clock. I have been too busy to try the goulash that makes your country one for the record books. Well, thank you for the candid chit-chat. No problem, friend who is a girl. <laughs> uh, no.